Hello, I'm Chris Marshall. Welcome to Politically Speaking from Hollywood Magazine. It's been a sad week in British politics following the death of MP David Amos last Friday. Prime Minister Boris Johnson led tributes in the Commons on Monday, confirming that the Essex town of Southend will be awarded city status, something Sir David had a long campaign for. A man has now been charged with the MP's murder, but the incident has once again led to questions about the risks faced by our elected officials. On this edition of the podcast, we speak to SNP MP Carol Monaghan about the abuse she's received on social media, culminating in a death threat. But first, I'm joined by my colleague Louise Wilson to discuss what's been happening over the past few days. And Louise, the, the threats posed to politicians are, are once again in the news, obviously following the death of, of Sir David. And that was something that we highlighted in the magazine back in February. Yeah, so we did a small survey of uh, MSPs um, at the start of the year. um, And I mean, some of the findings were really quite disturbing. You know, it came back saying a third of MSPs had received a death threat. Um, More women than men had received it. And um, there was also threats of uh, sexual violence and and just general threats to personal safety. Um, So it's obviously, you know, a, a huge concern to elected politicians and uh, not not to echo what has been been said elsewhere too much but you know this is a job for people and and people shouldn't be subject to these kind of threats in any job let alone something that's so integral to our democracy uh, and do you think i mean are there any indications at this stage that um that things will, will change uh following the death of, of david amos I mean, there there are suggestions that that security could be tightened for for MPs and also MSPs at, at Holyrood. Yeah, I mean, certainly um, Home Secretary Priti Patel um, has made a statement this week about um, sort of getting police involved in in MP security arrangements. I believe. The presiding officer at the Scottish Parliament, Alison Johnson, has also uh, written to MSPs with with similar suggestions of looking at, at the arrangements. Um, but it's just it's one of those things that's quite quite difficult to do. You know, you can have all the security around like the parliamentary estate, you can have it at, at constituency offices, but but when MSPs and MPs are going out and doing the surgery, it's a lot harder to actually man that kind of security. Um, and of course. There, there is a bit of a, a difference here in between, um, obviously, the death of Sir David and what we saw a few years ago with Joe Cox, um, and also what uh, MSPs have, and MPs have been discussing. You know, af- after the attack last Friday came out, a lot of people were saying, "Oh, it shouldn't matter what political views you are; no one should be subject." Subject to these these types of um, behaviours, which you know is of course true, but but then it turned out the attack was just was a, a terrorist attack. It, it was more to do with um, with that than it was about personal politics. Um, so and you know that makes it even even harder to police. I suppose it's it's looking at um, at the different aspects of and and what is a credible threat and what is. I guess people online just just making noise because they don't think they'll that they'll be found. Yeah, I mean there there has been uh, suggestions from the police in the, in the past few days that um, the, the attacker or the alleged attacker was looking at um, other potential targets as well as well other potential uh, MPs. Uh, away from that story, Louise, we're just uh, we're just a few days um, away now from from the long-awaited COP twenty six summit. In Glasgow, um, how are how are things looking? Um, 
well, bit bit difficult. Um, there's quite a few uh, strikes planned, aren't there? There's um, the train strikes, uh, bin strikes, school strikes, um, all coming to a head. So, I mean, as far as trade unions are concerned, it's a great time to be to be doing that because that's when you'll get the most notice. Um, but that does make it quite difficult in terms of the logistics of of getting um, everyone to places. So. So yeah, that's it's uh, not looking looking too good at the moment, but yeah. we've still got a week to go, so so perhaps things will be solved by then. And we've had uh, we've had a couple of uh, high profile call offs. Now, presumably, uh, President Putin wasn't going to be using um, Strathclyde Passenger Network to to get to to COP. But do you think it makes a difference that that the you know the Russian president isn't going to be there in person? I mean, the Russians have. I've been at pains to point out still very much to take part, uh, but but does it make a difference that these guys aren't going to be there in person? Um, I mean, symbolically, it looks like quite a big thing that that both Putin and also uh, the Chinese president um, Xi isn't going to be there. But as you say, both countries and and others that are maybe not not going to have as big a presence have still put forward their various plans for how they're going to reach net zero. Um, and and certainly there'll there'll be delegations from these countries there. It just won't be won't be the the men themselves that are there. Um, so I mean, it, it, I guess it depends how much you you weigh on uh, on on the actual leaders and and whether they're the people that actually actually get the stuff done or, or or not. And in terms of getting stuff done, I mean, how how positive should we be that that, that there will be some sort of deal reached. I mean, the the sort of mood music that's coming out ahead of the summit doesn't sound overly optimistic, does it? No. Um, obviously, the the UK as, as as president for this is obviously trying to keep things fairly buoyant and, and optimistic. Um, but yeah, the, there's a lot of questions around there over whether the plans that have been put forward by each individual story are going to be enough to meet the Paris Agreement. Um, I remember speaking to someone uh, earlier this year saying that you know there has to be a Glasgow Agreement. It, it seems inconceivable, inconceivable that there wouldn't be. But then since then, that kind of chat has kind of dampened down a bit. Yeah. Um, and I think people are actually really quite worried that that this cop isn't going to be um the big turning point that that really it needs to be okay thanks louise and uh, now my colleague margaret taylor speaks to carol monaghan mp carol obviously everyone in the entire country was horrified by the murder last week of mp david amos and it's led to to quite a, a debate about the the toxic atmosphere that politicians are operating in now i know you have kind of been at the receiving end of that could you kind of talk us through what what your situation was and kind of the, the impact that had on i guess in your personal life and on your working life yeah i mean it's it's really difficult to to I suppose understand how how you feel and how you cope whenever you've had um, a situation like that. Um, for me, I had a death threat made against me. In fact, I mean, I think all politicians probably have had death threats made against them at some point, which is is a pretty grim thing to have to say. What made this one particularly um, worrying was 
the level of personal detail they knew about me and about my family. And that was that was what made the police extremely concerned about it. Um, at the time, I mean, when you have that, when you, you know that there is somebody there that means you harm or or is certainly boasting about the harm they're going to do to you. Um, really, I mean, for me, the, the bottom fell out of my world. And although I decided to go into politics, you know, my family didn't, my children didn't, and, and suddenly all of them are seriously impacted by by the decision that I've made so so that was that was a pretty horrible time um I was met whenever the I was told about the death threat I was in London I was in Westminster it was during some uh, quite um emotive Brexit votes and I got the phone call just as I was leaving Westminster to come to Glasgow. In fact, the police would rather I'd stayed in Westminster, but I just wanted to be home with my mm-hmm. family at that point. So, so I was. H- made... how, how were you actually informed of it? Was it something that you received it, directly? It was, or... No, no, no. It was a phone call from my office manager. Right. And how, how had the threat been made? Had it come through your office? Or... No, it had been made through a telephone message to Crime Stoppers. Right. Okay. So the individual had phoned up Crime Stoppers to say that uh, my life was in danger and gave a number of details about me. So, um, Gosh, so then, that's really frightening. Yeah, it it was, and so the police phoned my office manager because mm-hmm. we've got very very good relations with the local police. Um, and my office manager then called me. Mm-hmm. And I was I was literally about to leave Westminster with my case in my hand, and I got the news, and it was just I, I just I just collapsed. It was awful. Yeah. Um, on hand, there were there were three very good colleagues, and I think it's worth saying two of them were SNP, and one of them was Labour. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think probably people don't understand that although politics can seem to be really divisive actually you have differing views on a particular issue but that doesn't mean to say you don't have respect or affection or even friendships with those from from other parties and And um, we've very much seen that haven't we in the last week and the reaction to David Amos's death like it's been completely cross-party that the outpouring of grief and and respect for him yeah, and I think that's probably something that has come as a surprise to many people in the public because that's not what is portrayed as yes. politics. And what they don't see, I mean, they might see very robust exchanges across the, the chamber. They might even they might even go beyond robust. Yeah. Um, but what they don't see is once you move from the chamber, you then grab somebody from the other side and say, how are you and yeah. what's things and shall we get a drink later or how's that thing you're working on is there anything I can do to to help with that none of that is seen um, do, you, do you think it's unfortunate that people don't see that so they see the kind of the, the aggro that takes place in the chamber and, and maybe that feeds into the kind of atmosphere of well I support this party therefore I hate that person I mean do, do you think there should be more of the kind of the camaraderie that goes on behind the scenes should be more visible <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how you would make it more visible without having TV cameras in the the tea rooms or restaurants (laughs) and things. I'm not sure people would want that. But um, but yeah, but uh, there is also, 
I mean, you can see people working cross-party in different things. Mm -hmm. When you see committees, the problem is that committees are not a particularly sexy thing for people to sit and and spend three hours watching, whereas First Minister's questions or Prime Minister's questions, they want to see the political point scoring and the the one-upmanship that takes place in these situations. They don't necessarily want to see... the. the, um, different political parties working together in a committee. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's just, I suppose, not not exciting enough. And yeah. that's unfortunately the reality of it. So, so yeah, I mean, to go back to, to my threat, whenever I was then, I was pretty much these, these three uh, guys. It was um, Stuart MacDonald from uh, Glasgow, um, Angus Brendan McNeil, who's Western Isles, and Jed Killen, who was in the Rutherglen Labour, mm-hmm. Rutherglen MP, were just fantastic and got me to the airport, got me on the plane, probably put a drink in my hand at some point. Was there no police escort? Not at that point, but in, when I arrived in Glasgow, there were a lot of police, yes. Right. And um, and they were there literally to meet me off the off the plane and escort me out of the airport. Um, and I was at that point taken straight to the police station because I couldn't go back to my house at that point. Yeah. Now, am I right to say you had to actually move out of your own home for a while? I did. Yes. And and it was reported that it was a police safe house. It wasn't a police safe house, but mm-hmm. we did go somewhere a place of safety um, for a couple of weeks. I mean, that's um, not what you expect when you get involved in politics, is it? What What was that like? I mean, what, what was the toll on, on yourself and on your family? What, what was that like to have to live through that? Well, my kids thought they were just getting a wee holiday for, yeah. <laughs> for, for a week and a half, so that was okay. Yeah. Um, that, I didn't I didn't tell any of my family other than my husband. None uh-huh. of my family knew um, what was going on. I didn't want to distress them. I didn't want my kids to be scared. I didn't want my parents to be upset. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't. And I know a lot of politicians want to shout all the time about, oh, I've had another death threat or I've had this or I've had that. And, and I don't want to belittle it because it is terrifying when it happens. But for me, I didn't want to, to raise it at all. And I know there are other um, politicians this week that have said similar, that they didn't actually make statements about it because of the, the alarm it would cause to yes. their families. Um, so so I think that's there's probably more of this happens than people know because, mm-hmm. believe it or not, politicians don't always seek publicity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, so. did, did it... It's interesting that you said it's not unusual. Probably every single politician has had death threats of some kind. I mean, I know we'll get on to talking about social media because I know a lot of these come via that and they're perhaps taken less seriously, whether that's right or wrong. But did it give you pause for thought that you were in the right job, that perhaps you would reconsider your career choice? It's... Certainly. I've, I've reconsidered it many, many times. Yeah. I was probably a rather reluctant politician anyway. This was not a career that I'd ever planned for. Um, I kind of found myself uh, after the referendum in 2014 wanting to get more involved and wanting to do more and playing more of a, a part. I didn't expect that the part I'd be playing would be as, as an MP, I thought maybe it would just be a more a leadership role within my branch, something like that. Um, so it was never something, it was never a career that I had yearned for or had had um, kind of planned for. So then, of course, whenever things go wrong, 
um, you start thinking, is is this really, do I want to do this to my family? I could go back to, to teaching a career that I loved and um, and things would be rather more straightforward. Mm-hmm. And like, Would you make that choice if something like that happened again? Um, I think I would need to see how I felt at the time because, of course, there's also... There's also a stubbornness about me, and I kind of feel I shouldn't be chased away from this because of because of um, the actions of someone else. However, I've got my family to consider, yes, and that's yeah. if it were only me, you'd I would say, oh, very definitely, I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to leave this. Um, but with with children, it 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 changes it, and I think. Probably, probably the the more telling um, outcome of this is that I know for definite I don't want my children going into politics. Right, that's interesting, and, isn't it? I mean, do, do you think do you think many people would be put off? And I mean, I guess it, it, it's not particularly a gendered thing, but you do hear a lot, and I guess this is a social media thing as well of women getting a lot of these threats, rape threats, death threats, all kinds of violence, like much more perhaps that the, the men get. I mean, do, do you think it's something that people would not want their families going into and women in particular may be put off from standing? Yeah, absolutely. But I don't think it's, I don't, this sort of misogynistic aspect mm-hmm. of social media is not, um, it's not only polit- female politicians that are affected by this, it's females in the public eye yes. generally. Yeah. So that could be journalists, that could be TV presenters, that could be anybody. And, um, and there is a real kind of dark poisonous aspect of social media that seems to be reserved for females and and very i've very definitely felt the brunt of that um however we've seen you know um with the murder of of david amos it was a, a male politician that was actually recently killed so i mean yeah of course the danger and, and I, I think the actual thing like david amos joe cox it, it it's kind of a different thing like it's almost like it's part of the same debate but it's separate isn't it it is separate and I think that's I think we have to kind of try and tease these two things apart because politicians are the focus of of hatred Mm -hmm. because clearly politics is we have political parties because people have different views and when people have different views there is then um you know the the temptation or or there should be challenge to those views that's what democracy Mm -hmm. is about but it's the way in which we challenge it and um, but as a as a politician you can find yourself the focus of an individual's attention when things go wrong and I wasn't the person that was to blame for the individual that made the threats against me I wasn't the person that was to blame for that but I was the focus of it and I think that's that's what you become as as a figure in the public eye Mm -hmm. the social media of course is a much wider thing it can impact so many people in so many different ways and um, and it's not necessarily all about the one person I reckon that the people that are making misogynistic um, comments about females in the public eye are not doing it to one female they're doing it to lots of them 
Yes, yeah. I mean, I guess that that's something that's very easy to do, isn't it, when you're sitting in front of a keyboard? But, but I mean, making the threats, typing something into Twitter or Facebook or whatever is, I mean, it's horrible. It's horrible to be at the receiving end of it. Is, is it something that should be taken very, very seriously? Is it taken very seriously? It's it's not taken seriously at all. Um, and, I mean, there's... I've I've actually pretty much taken myself off Twitter because I, I do tweet occasionally and I'll have a look occasionally, but I've gone from maybe tweeting many times a day to tweeting a couple of times a week mm-hmm. um, because I just it's not worth the impact on my mental health. Um, yeah. the pylons and everything else and and it's interesting whenever whenever we had to leave our house because of the threat made against me um, I missed uh, another Brexit vote as a result of that because the police didn't want me to to move from that mm-hmm. and I got abuse from on social media from from members of my own party oh, right. for missing this vote. And of course, I wasn't about to tell them the reasons for it, but I think there's this kind of, um, I suppose, a, a, a belief in a, um, there's a sort of, almost you, people feel entitled and emboldened to criti- criticise people like MPs, MSPs, for their actions without knowing the reasons behind it. And I think sometimes people need to take a step back and think, well, she hasn't missed any other votes. There must be a reason why yes. that has happened rather than, oh, I hear you're off on holiday. Could you not even be bothered? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that I mean, was what? quite that was quite upsetting for me as well. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like what, what is the the impact of the the abuse on social media because obviously it was a very different thing when you got that phone call it it was a much more kind of tangible thing but it 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 takes a toll as well doesn't it getting the the kind of constant barrage of abuse via social media and i guess you can just take yourself off it but it's still there i mean what what well well, can can, can i say that this individual had already been attacking me on social media Right, and that, had that's already, an interesting point, isn't it? Does yeah. it move across? Okay, and and with this individual, it did, and I had already reported these abusive tweets, and some of them were threatening as well. So I I was reporting these, and nothing was happening. You know, reporting and, them to Twitter, to Twitter, or, yeah, to yeah. Twitter, and nothing would happen. You know, it was it, this doesn't. Um, breach any of our, our guidelines. So um, was it death threats via Twitter? I mean, what, what kind of things were you receiving? Um, there were things like, for example, um, my constituency office windows were splattered with ketchup. A photo of that was posted on Twitter with, um, it happened to Joe Cox, it can happen to you type stuff. So yeah. um so it was it was pretty upsetting, but it was upsetting for me, but it was also upsetting for my staff because my staff were in the office all the time. I was only in the office usually on a Friday or Saturday. Yeah. They were there the whole time and they were bearing the brunt of it coming mm-hmm. in and seeing this. So so um yeah, it was all so so the social media actually was tied in with, with this person's obsession mm-hmm. and this person's kind of I don't know. What what you would call it his his intent yeah. to 
Possibly not harm. I don't know whether he would ever have carried it out, but certainly is his intent to, to cause alarm. Yeah, yeah. And so Twitter didn't want to get involved, but were the police involved at that stage? We would report these to the police, yeah, and uh-huh. they would come and, and do. So the police the police were good throughout. Um, but it turned out it was this individual that was, that was doing these things. And once the... It kind of escalated to an actual death threat being made against me. Once it escalated to that, the police were able to seize equipment um, and and find that yes, it was him that had been posting all of this stuff. And how how was that link made? Because obviously people can hide behind an, an anonymity um, when they're on Twitter or online generally. Like how how did you know it was the same person? And how, how did the the link? The connections get made. Um, this this was an individual that my office had helped in the past, and when one of my staff heard the message that had been left, he recognised the voice. Right, and that's how the link was made. So without that, you perhaps would never have known. No, gosh, that that's really fascinating, isn't it? So and frightening as well. Yeah. Yeah. And only that he was so, and I hadn't personally met this individual, um, but my staff had, and only that that member of staff was was so alert and thought, I, I know that voice. Yeah. And, and gave the name, and then when the police went, that, that was who it was. And what, what was the outcome in the end of that? What, what happened with him? Um, he was convicted of kind of it, it wasn't of making a death threat. It was convicted of um, I can't quite remember, but it was essentially sort of a stalking type yeah. um, conviction. Um, he pled guilty and um, he was given some community service. And I guess the the unusual thing is that that is not unusual, is it? There are so many politicians that have similar stories to tell of stalkers getting some kind of conviction but there must be so much more of it like just that little link that that your member of staff did manage to recognize that voice I mean what I guess it it, it does come back to the social media thing doesn't it what what could be done what should be done to kind of catch this at an earlier stage to weed it out I think there's a couple of things I think social media companies need to be um, more alert to um, threats that have been made mm-hmm. or abuse that has been made and need to, to clean it up. I mean, if somebody in the supermarket is shouting at me, you're a slag or you're a whore, mm-hmm. we know that's not acceptable. We know that that other people would jump to my defence, yeah. but social media didn't. Um, so, and that's not to say that individuals in social media didn't, but the social yeah. media platforms didn't. They, that was that was considered acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so first of all, I think there's got to be um, a resetting of kind of levels of acceptability for social media. Um, the other thing that, that we need to look at is anonymous accounts because this individual had anonymous accounts and I kept blocking 
the accounts and then he would change it to a different anonymous account and I would block I would screenshot and block and he would Did just, you know they were all the same person? Well they were all very similar. Yeah, right. they were all very there was maybe an underscore shift in position or the number nineteen figured so it might come okay. at a different okay. place. So it looked pretty similar. Yeah. So these anonymous accounts. I I know that, you know, people have said that anonymous accounts are important because it allows people to express important positions. It allows space for whistleblowers. Um, I would say there are other avenues that whistleblowers could go down without needing an anonymous account on on Twitter. Um, So I think the the time has come to get rid of these kind of egg-type accounts and, um, you know, a photo, a name, a something, and details that identify that individual um, should should be required in order to to operate on on different platforms. And how do we do that? How, how do we force these huge? It's got to be legislation. To it's it. got to be legislation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which which becomes very difficult. And here's you know it's easy to say oh we legislate for that, yeah. but Twitter is a world like wide. operative so if we legislate for it here then you know we can uh, we can't legislate for what's happening in in other places so but I do think that most of the abuse I get is coming locally is coming not necessarily Glasgow locally but certainly UK locally Mm -hmm. Um, and most of it is is kind of quite it's it's political so um so it's people that are aware of. So I'm not saying that um, getting rid of anonymous accounts would solve the problem entirely, but it would certainly it would certainly go a long way to improving things. I guess it would dampen a lot of the noise, wouldn't it? Certainly. I guess finally, you, you've obviously found a way that that you can continue in your job. You can deal with the harassment, <laughs> you can kind of keep a lid on it. What, what would you say to other people who were perhaps thinking of standing and might be put off by this? I mean, how, how could they find a way forward? Um, don't go near Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, I mean, I, I think there is a real kind of, um, especially with, with um, young people, they feel they have to be on Twitter to, to get their opinions out, to show that they're political, to show that they've thought about different issues. And I'm not sure that's how we, we we should interact. I think there are better ways that we can interact. So for people thinking about politics, I would say get involved with your local community council. Shadow a councillor, an MSP, an MP. Ask them if you can do that. You know, Find out about what's happening and in your local branch of whatever political party that you want to get involved in, but get involved in that way. Don't become, don't think that your the start of your political engagement should be on on Twitter because I think very very quickly you get drawn into the same sort of nastiness that goes on, and and I see a lot, and this goes across political parties, a lot of young people in particular think that their point in Twitter is to attack other individuals, and and as I always say, attack the politics, not the politician, and let's start looking at that, Um, and if you wouldn't, mind you, some people might speak to somebody in this way, but I would say if you don't if you wouldn't speak to your parents, 
in that particular way. Don't speak to somebody on Twitter in that particular way. Um, and I can certainly have robust discussions with my parents, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to start shouting them down and telling them that you know the way they live their life is is wrong or yes. is whatever. So I think um, I think there's there's got to be a level of respect to re- reintroduce to our politics. And in a sense, I suppose that kind of demands more face to face interaction, which I guess brings us back to the awful murder of David Amos. I mean. What what kind of what what do you think the outcome of that will be in terms of people having holding surgeries and f- feeling safe to do so? I mean, well, following um, the murder of Joe Cox, most MPs had completely reviewed how they carried mm-hmm. out surgeries and security around that, um, and and as did I, um. It's it's really interesting because most of my face, most of my um, casework does not come through surgeries. Right. Most of it comes through emails, phone calls, and occasionally I'll get messages sent on social media. Although I don't like using that as a way of of getting um, getting a casework. I do get letters still. A lot of older people still write to me. Mm-hmm. And often at surgeries, I can be sitting for two hours and, and nobody comes. Right. Okay. So so I think what we feel as though we have to be out there doing surgeries, we have to be showing that we're available. COVID has taught us we can do things in different ways. Yes. So is it always necessary? And I'm not saying that we should get rid of surgeries altogether, but I don't think this idea of every Friday morning I sit in the community centre with a member of staff waiting for constituents to arrive, I'm not sure that's the best way of of, of um, interacting with people. Certainly through the pandemic, I've done a lot of Zoom calls to, to constituents, huge number of phone calls. And people are always surprised, you know, if they've phoned in or emailed in, um, they're always surprised when the MP phones them up. And yeah. um, so, and I've actually really enjoyed that way of interacting. I've never mm-hmm. really had a chance to do that before, but it's been a really nice way of interacting with people. Um, I do think there probably still is a place for surgeries, but I don't think it has to be every week and I don't think it has to necessarily be the same format. So maybe maybe we need to think of less of them with different type of security and, um, and consider how we interact. I think probably more difficult, um, the more difficult issue is when we're out and about in the community because that's such an important part of the job, yes. doing visits and going places. And I think... Probably the easiest thing is if I'm going somewhere, I'm just not going to advertise that I'm going there. Yeah. And I'll let the police know that I'm going there type thing. So, yeah. Um, I think it, the problem is that if somebody's really intent on doing harm, They'll do they it. will find a yeah, way. Exactly, exactly. But we need to minimise those opportunities. 